Welcome to Human Resources for Small Business, where we discuss HR best practice, hot topics in HR, HR strategy, and employment law changes that affect business. I'm your host, Brandon Laws of Zenium HR. Our website is www.zeniumhr.com, where you can follow us, read articles, watch videos, or contact us. Thank you for listening. It's my pleasure to welcome Sierra Madro to the show today. She is the founder of Leap to Greatness and the author of the book, The Right Ladder, Climb to Your Perfect Career in Four Simple Steps. Welcome, Sierra. Thanks, Brandon. Today, I'm really excited to have Sierra on the show because we'll get a chance to ask Sierra some questions about her book, and we'll actually be able to talk about how businesses and employees can get to the next level using the LEAP system. So, Sierra, first off, what is the LEAP system? Well, the LEAP system is a process and framework that I developed to really help you to have an idea of how to move on to the next level. Once you've set a goal, you've got to be able to move to the next step. LEAP is an acronym. It stands for Learn, Envision, Act, and Possess. Those are the four simple steps that are in my book title. And the LEAP system really allows you to move through the idea of learning what it is that you want, then envisioning yourself having it, moving on to acting every day, doing at least one thing to move you in the direction of your goal until finally you possess the goal that you've set out for. Now, how does the LEAP system actually apply to those who are actually in the workforce right now versus those who are actually just looking for work? Well, regardless of whether you're employed or unemployed, you're probably still in the mindset or should be in the mindset of figuring out what your next step should be in your career planning. You should always have a career plan and a development plan that you're working towards, whether you're employed or unemployed. So in either case, the first step is really to learn what you want your career path to be. What do you want your next step to be? Is it to move up one step closer and basically have your manager's job? Or do you want to take a path and take a step off onto another path and move into a parallel groove to the one that you're on right now? Either is valid, but you've got to actually sit back and learn what path you really want. What does success mean to you? What, how are you going to define being successful in your career? Once you know that, then you can start moving on to the other steps. Now, for employees who are actually employed right now, is this something they should be transparent with uh, in, with their management and leadership teams? Well, if you think about it, almost every company has some sort of development planning process, usually on a yearly basis. So from that standpoint, yes, you should be transparent because your management, your direct manager as well as upper management, expects you to have a career plan. So the idea of saying, this is where I want to be three years from now, five years from now, that should be really a part of the development planning process and the conversations that you're having. Now, going up to your manager and saying, I want your job probably may not go over very well in the uh, office, but having that sense of planning and purpose of knowing the direction that you're moving in and making sure that 
what you're doing now is moving you in that direction. I think that's a valuable conversation to have with your direct manager, as well as, frankly, with yourself. Now, with employees who are basically staying in jobs that they're not really passionate about, why do you think they're holding on to those types of jobs? Well, there's two big reasons that people hold on to jobs that they don't like. Fear and uncertainty. And uncertainty is the sense of not knowing what else you'd be doing. If you, if you don't really know where you're trying to go to, you might as well stay where you are. And the second is the fear. Even if you do have this idea of where you'd really like to be, the fear of change, the fear of transition, the fear of the unknown, and frankly, the fear of success can hold you back and keep you where you are right now. Both of those, the fear and the uncertainty, are coming from a place of, of weakness inside yourself, that, that sense of feeling very, very small and uncertain and weak. And when you start coming into the idea of understanding what you want and being able to overcome the limiting beliefs that may have been holding you back, then that's when you can move into your power. That's when you can move into the statement of saying, yes, I have this fear, but I know how to move through it. I know how to do what I need to do, regardless of the fear that I may be having. The fears frequently don't go away. You just learn how to manage them. Do you think the, the fear and the uncertainty are a cause of something greater within an organization or within an individual? Well, organizationally, when you start seeing this kind of systematic feeling, then that can be certainly uh, a more a larger problem within that organization. At the individual level, though, a lot of times it stems from limiting beliefs. The idea, deep-seated ideas that you probably don't even know you have that came to you when you were a small child. And those ideas can hold you back from achieving the success that you consciously want because of unconscious beliefs that you have that say you shouldn't do that or you can't do that or it would be bad if you did that. As an example, um, a lot of times when you're moving up the ladder of success, it entails making more money. Now, at the conscious level, making more money is usually something people see as a good thing. But if you're starting to make enough money that it runs into some sort of unconscious belief that rich people are bad, then that can keep you from actually hitting the next level because you don't want to be a bad person. You don't want to see yourself as a bad person. And if you have this unconscious belief that rich people are bad, and if you made a little bit more money, your own belief system would start running up against that, it can hold you back. But if you start working past those kinds of limiting beliefs, those kinds of things that are holding you back because of unconscious beliefs, then you can start reaching into higher levels of success. I had that problem myself. I had this deep-seated belief that I'd gotten from my parents that somehow really wealthy people were somehow dishonest, that they got that wealth through cheating other people or some sort of dishonesty in their, the way they dealt with others. Now, this is obviously a fallacy. This is not truth. But the things you learn when you're four or five, six years old, a lot of them aren't true when you face them with the light of the day, but that doesn't make them any less of a belief. 
that means you have to work past that if you want to achieve the success that you really, really want in life. Do you think people have just as much fear about success as they do with failure? Oh, heavens, yes. Uh, if you think about it, when you start thinking about success, that means you're probably taking on more responsibility. You have a higher profile. The risk is greater. The risk that you could start getting areas where you're, you're really successful and you know you're successful, and that means it's further to fall. And that idea of if I stay here and I stay comfortable, then there's less risk of future failure. It's, it's kind of a, a funny thing when you start really looking at the way the psyche can hold you back. But yes, the fear of success can be huge because you can know that the more successful you get, the worse it could be if you eventually fail. And the, the idea that you're going to allow the possibility of a future failure to keep you from achieving success today, if you really think about that, it's really ludicrous. But that same fear can still hold you back if you don't face it down and deal with it directly. How do you think managers and leaders could actually facilitate the success that employees are having within an organization. So let's say they're moving up the ladder, but just kind of like we we're saying with success, there's some a fear that you're going to fall. But how can leaders and managers help that employee guide them uh, to just stay on the ball um, and make sure that they're going to reach the goals that they want? Well, as trite as the statement is, being part of a culture that accepts and doesn't too badly uh, punish failure is something that's important. Because if you, if you think about it, if you're in a culture, if you're in the type of culture where you know if you make one misstep, it's going on your permanent record and will always count against you, that's going to keep you from risking. That's going to keep you from taking those steps that might lead to humongous success, but won't because you're in that culture of not wanting to, you know, make a permanent error. If on the other hand, the culture of your group is, yes, that was a mistake. Yes, that was a problem. It didn't yield the result. Let's see what we can learn from that. Let's see how we can make sure that we don't make that same kind of error in the future and use that as a learning tool. That kind of culture, that kind of acceptance of the possibility of failure actually allows people the freedom to take the steps that could create huge success but does have that risk. So I think it's really creating a culture where, yes, we know this could have ramifications that are not positive, but we're going to take that risk and we're going to see it through. And if it doesn't work, we're going to learn from that. Let's talk about the ACT portion of the LEAP system. So how big of an issue is procrastination, whether it's at work or just if you're looking for jobs, how big of an issue is procrastination and should it be worrisome? Procrastination is a fun one because it really comes down to why are you procrastinating? 
So if, for instance, you're in your job and you find you're spending a whole lot of time surfing the internet or talking to coworkers and procrastinating from really doing your job, that's a problem because that really means that you're not doing the right job because if you were, you'd be excited and happy about doing it and you'd actually do that job every day. If you're procrastinating though because of lack of understanding of the task or lack of feeling that you have the tools that are necessary to move forward, and that's where you really need to figure out what it's going to take to get you into action. When, when I look at taking action on a, on a plan that I'm laying out for one of my clients, I like the idea that you should do at least one thing every day to move yourself closer to your goal. So that one thing can be big if you've got a lot of time that day to devote. But that one thing can also be quite small if you don't have a lot of time that day. If you know you've got back-to-back meetings all day long, then the most you can do is say, well, you know, I'm going to take five minutes and make that phone call. I'm going to call that person that I really need to reach out to. That's as much as I can handle for today. And that's fine. You've still kept that momentum going. If you've got a whole lot of time that day, you can block out four hours to really do some dedicated work. That is an, a place where you can make some real progress, but you do have to block off that kind of time if you want to make that progress and do that really big task. Procrastination can hold you back, but it's really a symptom that you're probably not going towards the right goal and you need to reassess what you're looking, what, the direction you're going in, what you're looking for, and make sure that you're really going the right direction. If you are, it should feel good. And it should feel like you're excited to actually work on that goal. Now, with that, does that mean individuals should actually be responsible for figuring out that, hey, I'm procrastinating? Or is it an outside source, whether it's uh, it's a peer, it's a manager, a leader within the organization? Should they actually help the the individual who's procrastinating? Well, ideally, you should be able to recognize it in yourself. But... We don't always live in an ideal world. So as a manager and as a supervisor, there will probably be times when you'll recognize that someone that you're supervising is procrastinating. In those cases, it's good to have that conversation and figure out why they're procrastinating. Why aren't they doing it? If it's because they don't really want to do it, then you have to assess, well, does it just need done anyway? Because frankly, there are tasks that nobody wants to do. And somebody's got to do it and just move through it. But if it's something that could be reassigned to somebody else, if you haven't had that discussion with the person you're supervising to figure out what path they're really on, then that's when you need to have those conversations and point out, you know, I see you not doing these tasks. Why is that? And how can we... So ideally, yes, you see it yourself, but as a supervisor, you may still see it in others. So in your book, I believe you mentioned golden handcuffs. What are, <laughs> what are those? Those That terminology actually came from, I spent 18 years in high tech. And when I was in high tech, I was in the, the era when we were getting a lot of stock options when you hired on and on a yearly basis. They were referred to as the golden handcuffs. 
because the stock options kept increasing in value, but you had to stay for a certain number of years for those, those options to actually vest and become yours. When I think about those golden handcuffs, whether you have stock options or not, if you're in a job that pays you really well, then it can be really hard to think about leaving. And it can be really hard to step back and say, you know what, I've been doing this for 15 years, but it doesn't bring me joy anymore. This is not what I want to be doing. And I need to really assess what my next step is. I need to figure out if I need to take something different or if I need to just, you know, transition slightly within the company into a a complementary role. Just because you're in a position where you want to make a transition doesn't mean it has to be a drastic transition. If you're in accounting, it may mean that you work from you transition from doing one type of accounting to maybe moving into more of a financial analyst role. It's very similar, uses a lot of the same skills, but it's still going to potentially reinvigorate your interest and your joy in what you're doing. Those kinds of transitions are typically not something that you do very quickly. You want to set up a plan and make sure you know how you're going to get from where you are to where you want to be. With the golden handcuffs, it's an interesting concept because it seems like just the incentives are misaligned. Like the only thing keeping me there is wages. Maybe by wages, I'm getting paid a really decent amount. So I'm staying in a job that is not satisfying to me whatsoever. So from a management perspective, and you see this happening, what can you do to create a high level of satisfaction within the organization? And maybe it's not just in terms of wages. What can you, what can you do? Well, it's certainly true that we've, we've moved past the point where wages are really going to be a prime motivator for employees. Yes, wages are important, but people are wanting a sense of job satisfaction that comes from beyond wages. The biggest way that you can start motivating people is to recognize that the biggest thing that motivates anyone is feeling that they're part of something, that they're part of something greater than they are, that their contributions are really making a difference to a larger mission. So within your company, think about what the corporate mission is. Think about what the corporate vision is and figure out, are you actually telling your employees, are your employees feeling that sense of engagement, feeling that sense that what they're doing is really part of a larger vision, that they're working together to create a better future. Once you get that sense of engagement and that sense of camaraderie and team that comes around that feeling that you're you're moving towards something bigger than just, you know, sitting there every day and counting numbers, then that's when you start really getting to the point where people feel engaged. They feel excited about what they're doing because they know they're making a difference in the world. Now with all that said, what do you think is the most fulfilling part of the job outside of just the wages and the benefits? That's really going to differ on a person-to-person basis. I mean, a lot of times the things that are fulfilling to someone 
to a particular person may be completely meaningless to somebody else. That's when you start getting back to that sense of, in the LEAP system, learning what it is. I like to work with people to learn what kind of career characteristics are most important to you so that you make sure that you're really using those skills and fulfilling those needs for you on a daily basis. Typically, though, most most people really like that sense of being something, a part of something larger, as as I was just saying, and that sense that what they're doing is really going to be beneficial to other people. Whether you're doing something like, you know, doing constructing a piano and doing the manual woodwork that's necessary for that. The people that I just watched a documentary on Steinway pianos and the people there weren't talking about how great it was to construct a piano. They were talking about the music that was made with that piano. They were talking about the, the wonder of hearing pianists playing the pianos that they've made in Carnegie Hall. That's the kind of sense of connectedness and the sense of purpose that Steinway has managed to instill in their employees. They're not thinking about whether or not they've, you know, made, you know, actually attached all the little strings correctly on that particular piano. They're thinking about music. And that's something as you're thinking about how your employees are working with the, in the company. Are they making a piano or are they making music? That point is is so spot on because it, to me, in the the learning part of it, begins at the job interview with the job seeker. You're about to hire somebody on who you don't even know what their goals are, their objectives are at this point. But if they are aligned, and in the point where you made about. Um, you're making beautiful music at the end of the day. They don't just produce pianos. They produce beautiful music at the end of the day. Those are the the goals and the, the things that need to be aligned up front before an employee even comes on board because otherwise they're not going to be engaged at all. And they're there for probably the wrong reasons. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. And that's really when I'm coaching job seekers, one of the things that I tell just about every job seeker to think about in the interview process is showing enthusiasm because as a hiring manager, the one of the best things that I can see in somebody is the idea that they actually want to be here, that they actually want to do this job, that they're excited about doing this job. That excitement and enthusiasm is something that as a hiring manager, usually translates into someone being a very dedicated worker, assuming they have all of the other skills that are necessary for the position. But if you're seeing somebody that's a little blasé, not as interested, then that's a sign that maybe they don't really want this job. And even if they have the best skill set and have exactly the skills you're looking for, they're probably not going to be a very dedicated worker. And that dedication is not something that you can give to somebody else. You know, there's a saying that you can't motivate anybody. Motivation comes from within. The most you can do is inspire somebody else. 
And that inspiration usually comes from giving them a sense of why their job is important, why what they're doing matters. That's great stuff, Sierra. Is there anything else you want to tell the listeners about your book, just about anything else on your mind? Well, and just to kind of run through the LEAP system again really quickly, the idea is that when you're going for a goal, and that goal can be figuring out your next rung on your ladder to success or finding out what your next job is, that idea of learning what you want, being able to envision yourself having it, act every single day until you are finally possessing the goal that you've been after and you finally possess that that ideal career for you. Does the LEAP system apply to businesses as well as individuals? Certainly. At the corporate level, you can also take a leap at the from the uh from the i executive level because if you think about it those same four steps that same framework applies to corporate vision as well it's just as important for a corporation to understand where do you want to be going is your goal to pass down this company to your children or is your goal to set up a company that's ripe for takeover and that can be sold for wads of cash to Google. Either is a valid path, but they take different steps and it causes you to think differently as you go through your your actions each day. So you've got to have a good solid corporate vision. That's also what will translate to the inspiration for your workers. Sierra, where can listeners learn more about you, your book, and the LEAP system in general? You can learn more about Uh, my LEAP system and the book at my website, leaptogreatness.com. And on that website, you can find out more information about the LEAP system, about hiring me as a personal executive coach, as well as bringing me in for corporate consulting. Our guest today has been Sierra Madro. Thanks for being part of our show. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Zenium Resources, Inc., all rights reserved. For information on guests or for interview requests, please visit www.zeniumhr.com or email info at zeniumhr.com. Everything on this show should be considered educational and informational only and not personal advice. Please consult with the appropriate tax, legal, or business professional for individualized advice.